So the big question is this. How do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now, for the review of the day. All right, I got a comment on the state of the market where we're talking about these NAR lawsuits and the Justice Department. Uh, requesting the commissions from Matrix, CoreLogic's system. So uh, this is from Henry Macias. Henry says, uh, Zillow, Purple Bricks, and all the internet real estate services are behind this. Those attorneys probably have an interest. Smells like a monopoly behind this. Although one thing I could say is that those realtor boards charge exorbitant fees to join the boards and NAR. The realtors are the ones that should get some of this money back from this lawsuit. Thanks for the comment, uh, Henry. So, guys, yeah, if you want to make a comment, don't be afraid to go to YouTube and type in a real estate rock stars a radio. Love to hear from you. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. All right, Rockstar Nation, I have a really exciting guest today, Sarah Migo from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Today on the broadcast, we are going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff. So from goal setting to planning to seeing things out, success and failure, Sarah went from graphic design and law school to a real estate buyer agent. And now she's a full team owner, closed about $40 million in her career so far in just four, four short years, her words. So we're going to talk to Sarah today and find out all about her growth, her trajectory, how she's done what she's done and what we can or what she can do potentially help you guys out. So Sarah, welcome to Rockstar Nation and Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, our pleasure. So let's just, let's get right into it. So you went from, you, were, you had a graphic design company and then you decided to go to law school, but you got your real estate license in there right in the beginning before law school. So why did you do that? And then take us through that trajectory and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I had transitioned my graphic design business from active to passive in preparation for law school. And so I got my real estate license as a backup because I was going to be out in California with my family here remaining in Michigan. We weren't sure whether we were going to be able to liquidate and actually move to California together. And so when I realized that that wasn't going to be possible after my first semester, I decided to come back. uh, to Michigan to use my license, but my goal was actually to get back to law school. (laughs) I thought that I was still going to go back um, when I first joined. So within a month of coming back from law school, I I joined a team as a buyer's agent. So how long were you in law school? I was only in law school one semester. One semester. Okay. You just realized, not for me. I need to move on. 
Well, actually, the issue was uh, location-wise. I thought my family was going to be able to relocate. My husband owned several companies here in Michigan, and he couldn't liquidate them. Got it. So when we realized that we weren't going to be able to liquidate and move, I didn't want to be out in California by myself for another three years. <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. And you have kids? I have one son who's turning eight in November. Wow, okay. So yeah, you can't, can't, can't let, let the family stay behind for her. Yeah, I totally get that. So take us fast forward. You got your real estate license first semester. You realize it's just not where, where your life is going or where you want it to go. And then you said, okay, I'm going to join a team. Why'd you make that decision? Well, because I had transitioned my prior business to passive. So I needed some source of income. And after reviewing a lot of the different models, I thought, how can I make money as fast as possible without having to invest a lot? financially. And so I thought if I join a team, I'll get you know mentorship, I'll get the ability to learn, I can make money fast and not yeah. have to worry about really building a brand or a business. Love that. Do you think that's a smart idea? Uh, for me, it worked out really well. Yeah. You know, I felt like I really learned a lot and I was thrown into an environment where, you know, I was forced to kind of learn by fire, <laughs> but it pushed me to do a lot more. I mean, I closed over six and a half million my first year in the business as a buyer's agent. So, um, you know, it was a really good first step for me. Yeah. Love that. And I think it's a great idea too, especially in today's real estate climate. You don't have to go out and, and learn your, your way and make your mistakes with your money. You could be a part of a team and get that value mentorship and coaching and leads and training and you can bypass a lot of the learning curve that that most people who go out and start their own real estate team or their own real estate company they have to make those mistakes at least some of them up front right i mean you sure you have a ton of absolutely friends. yeah well and i think that a lot of people are so eager to go out there and just kind of do it on their own because they think you know i want to be my own boss and yeah. i want to run the show but Quite frankly, you know, I feel people who run teams are often, you know, they started underneath somebody else. They yeah. had to learn, they had to humble themselves. And so, you know, my goal wasn't to get to become my own team lead. It wasn't until I figured out that I wanted to make a career and a business out of real estate after my second year in the business that, you know, I decided that I was going to go off on my own. But prior to that, I had actually thought I can really make a difference here in what I'm doing. And maybe there'll be you know, lines for me to maybe buy the business out one day or to be yeah. able to assume it, which unfortunately didn't end up happening, but that was what I was thinking. <laughs> sure. No, that sounds awesome. And so your first year, you do over 6 million in closed sales volume. And then you said, what was that transition piece? Because I know there are a lot of people listening to the podcast right now that, which by the way, you're a, a top finalist in the 30 under 30 from NAR, National Association of Realtors, top 30 under 30 realtors in the nation. So Forgot to mention that in the beginning. That's a very impressive stat, especially with only being in the business for a couple of years. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I was very honored to have made the top 50 this year. So I'll take yeah, it. <laughs> absolutely. So let's talk about that transition. I mean, like I said, there's people listening right now that may be a buyer agent on a team and maybe thinking about, hey, you know, this is something that I really want to build into a career. And I'm trying to figure out what that next step is. Do I want to just jump in all the way? So tell us what you did to leave the team. You know, I specifically would like to know, how did you part ways? What did that look like? Was it clean? Was it messy? And then starting your team, did you have pipeline business or did you have to start from scratch? So um, I was actually only a buyer's agent for about six months. 
Okay. After I did that, I realized that there was way more opportunity on the listing side, that I could have more flexibility with my life and be more involved in my son's schedule. And I felt like there was just a bit more particular, um, you know, conversation and scripts and, and con consultation services that went into the listing side more than the buy side. So we had an opportunity to open up on my team. They weren't happy with the listing specialist that we had. So they let me become the primary listing specialist on the team. And I was with a mom and pop brokerage. So there were only a few of us. Um, but this team had been in business a very long time. So there was a lot of reputation and, and potential leads to go around. So I actually transitioned to a listing specialist six months into the business. And I felt that I found my calling. Like I absolutely loved the listing side. Um, and so from the very first seller I met with up until today, I've only lost five listings out of about 120 listing appointments. Wow. That's awesome. That's good stats. Really good stats. All right. So then you talk about the transition into your own team. So how long were you with yeah. that, that the first team you were with, uh, how long were you with them? And then what was, what was, what was leaving like? Yeah, so after I transitioned to listing specialist, I stayed on in that role until about a year and a half, December of 2017. Okay. And in 2017, as a listing specialist, I closed over 18 million in sales volume. Wow. I, I produced more than half of the company revenue. Wow. And then what happened? A light bulb went off and you said, wait a minute. Um, I knew prior because we had some work-life environment issues. Uh, I wasn't going into the office very often, and there was a lot of competition, and I felt like they really didn't want me to grow. They didn't want me to learn, huh. and that they felt very threatened by you know my ability. Sure. Um, and so, unfortunately, the relationship was not working out very well. And so I tried to make amends. I tried to get things to change. They just weren't interested. And so toward the end, they actually had taken some very retaliatory um, actions in mm -hmm. lowering my commission split with them and changing the distribution, even though I far exceeded my sales goals oh. and or conversion numbers. So I just knew that it was time for me to, to leave. Oh, interesting. Okay. I've heard that plenty of times before. I've been in that situation before. You learn a lot. You certainly learn a lot about how you would do it on your own, what not to do, what to do. So let's Absolutely. talk about starting your own team. Did you switch brokerages or did you stay there? Yeah, so I actually went solo first. Um, I transitioned to a local brokerage um, here in the Ann Arbor area because the broker there was very supportive and I had run into her a year prior and I liked the location because it was right by my son's school. I thought super convenient. And the splits were much better than what it was at my previous brokerage. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be making more money for less effort. So that's mm -hmm. a plus. Uh, but after basically going solo, I realized really quickly that where I was, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for personal or business growth, but it was very much like a solo sales agent type job. And I wanted to grow a team and I didn't yep. know how quickly I'd be able to do that, but I knew that I had the potential. So, you know, I thought rule of thumb here is, I need an admin because if I'm going to be doing 40 transactions a year, I need to have support so that I can hit that number and not lose my mind. Nice. <laughs> and there was 
just nothing in, in place to be able to make that happen. No sample job descriptions, you know, no contracts or anything in terms of how to find and hire somebody. I'm like, I really just wanted to know, like, what's the range of hourly pay and how do we set that up in terms of, you know, um, compensation? Are they 1099? Are they W-2? Nobody had answers. And I'm like, we have 150 agents and teams who are producing $100 million a year. How do we not have these things available for agents who are coming in? And it really was because they didn't want that kind of a structure um, to be able to happen more, you know, long term. So within six months, I transitioned to um, Keller Williams in Ann Arbor, and it's been great. And that's when I decided to start my team. Got it. Okay. So you talked a little bit about professional and personal growth in there. Can we dig into that for a second? Because sure. I found in my career and the people on our team and the people that I coach and pro- professional development is one thing, but personal development is where the business actually grows because the person Absolutely. grows. Absolutely. So what are some of the things you do for, for personal development that someone could take from this, uh, from this podcast today, just jump into, sign up for today? Well, you know, I wish I had an exact answer for you. <laughs> I will say that I do have a high performance coach. He's not real estate related. It's more about work-life balance and living a charged life and really just getting the most out of your experience because I struggle with work-life balance. Um, I tend to want to work a lot and then feel guilty for not being home. And then when I am home, feel guilty for being at, <laughs> for not working. So, you know, that kind of never ending um, cycle. So uh, I really am in a process now of just diving deep into my personal relationships as well as what I'm hoping to become both personally and professionally. So that's one thing that I do. And then I also run a team book club. So at the end of last year, um, I basically picked the 12 books I want my team to focus on, a different topic for personal development, whether it's habit development, whether it's, you know, um, contentness or mindset or marketing or service, and every month has a different topic. And so this month, we just finished The Greatest Salesman in the World, and next month, we're going to be, yeah, it it was very interesting. And I also just finished The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and then now we're going to be reading, you know, How to Grow a Network or how to grow a business from your existing network. So just trying to find ways to continue to improve ourselves. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. What's your favorite book you've read so far? Do you have a favorite? So honestly, the one I just finished, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, yep. is, I mean, it was so, it had me on the edge of my seat. I listened to it in audiobook, but I finished the whole book in 24 hours because I just couldn't stop listening to it. Right. And I'm about, I'm about to go back and use it as the, um, practice for my team advance, which I have scheduled for next week as a midway point to set goals for the rest of the year sure. to figure out where we're at and how to recharter our the remaining you know few months we have. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. And in terms of professional growth, what are the? I know KW offers a ton of classes. Do you do the KW stuff? Do you do outside stuff? Like, what are you doing for professional growth? Yeah, so I'm a lifelong academic, obviously, you know, wanting to go to law school, and then I was in academia before my graphic design company, so I'm very much a believer that you are what you know, and people hire you, and the value you add in your expertise, because you're going to provide something above and beyond what somebody else would provide, or what they already know or have access to, so I've actually completed over 288 hours of continuing education in the last four years. Wow. Um, I've pretty much run out of designations to take, but <laughs> I'm taking two more this year 
which is a senior real estate specialist and a military relocation specialist um, designation, which I have scheduled for later. Um, but I take them through our local board. We have, I'm actually a member of two boards, the Ann Arbor Board and the Greater Metropolitan Association of Realtors. So I try to sign up for classes or designations that focus on niche markets or specialty beyond what I can do personally. Got it. Got it. So let's talk about your team for a second. So you're, you've got, uh, describe your team. You, it's you as a team leader and rainmaker. And then. Yep. So I actually, I started a team last year in June and I brought on a buyer's agent and an admin, both of which that I let go by the end of the year. So I had decided okay. neither was the right fit for what I was looking for. And so then I started again from scratch and then I brought on a new buyer's agent and a new admin both in January of this year. Okay. And so they both are kind of doing it by fire. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you admin buyer agent that's it you handle all the listings buyer agent takes care of the buyers now well so uh, yes the goal is to get the buyer's agent to handle all the buyers but when she came in i already had 35 buyers signed under agency agreement roughly so any of those i'm not able to transition over but anything new yes got it got it and so let's talk about your Bottom line numbers. So last year, how many houses did you sell in the last 12 months? Yeah. So last year I sold 41 units. Okay. Two of those were rentals though. So 39 residential transactions. Yeah. And then you want volume. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So gross sales volume. <laughs> gross sales volume was $10,220,981. Oh, and then what's your projected for this year? Um, my team is projected to do about fourteen million this year. Okay, and then your gross commissions off that. My gross commission from the last twelve months uh, was three hundred and six thousand. Got it. And then profit margin, like how do you run your team? So I wish I had more profit margin from this past year, but unfortunately, because I was really funding, you know, the startup, the brand marketing materials and everything. My gross profit margin for this past year was about 170, okay. which is about 55% roughly yeah. of the gross income. But I'm, I'm working, I'm actually reading profit first right now and I'm working on restructuring the way that my income expenses are taken care of now and really focusing on making more profit. Got it. That's smart though. I mean, look, it I think we're so used to on these podcasts and other podcasts, and you and I were talking about it earlier, where you're listening to people say 80 million, 150 million, 250 million in sales volume, but it's really important. It's really important to point out that you started this business, you're doing everything you can to be to do it right, if there's a right way, maybe, maybe by the model, and you've already gone through a, a round of, of a buyer agent and, and an admin, which is extremely smart of you because if they don't work. They don't work. I think all of us as business owners need to follow that advice. When we know somebody's not fitting into our criteria, that's when we should just move on. It's the time when you know they're not fitting in and you think that there's a miracle that's going to happen and it winds up biting you in the butt every single time. So uh, real quick, did you, and we're, then we'll go back to the volume stuff. Did you when you were hiring your um, second agent and your second admin, what did you learn from the first one? I mean, I know this is out of left field, but 
just want to know from you, what did you learn from the, the first round of hires and then obviously letting them go that you took into the second round of hires that would make them a little bit, I don't know, better than the first round or more purposeful? Yeah. So on the buyer's agent front, the main issue I had was that that person had no experience in real estate at all. They had come from um, like a social work background. And as much as she had a lot of potential, she also was working toward another degree outside of real estate. So it became a scheduling priority conflict. And so my issue is that I like people and I like people to like me. I'm a networker right. and it's hard for me to stick to my guns when somebody is maybe not living up to the ex- expectation or agreement. I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt and I want them like, well, I know we haven't hit our numbers or we're not doing what we need to do, but let's like set goals for the next time and try to get there and I'll work <laughs> with you and you know, just kind of be more friendly. So I've realized that although I can be friends with you know, the people I can care for them. At the end of the day, I am still running a business. And if I'm going to be spending a lot of my time helping them make their goals, which is, you know, helping them be profitable in a way that makes sense for them, then I expect that they're going to come to the table with a similar kind of commitment and enthusiasm. And I expect them to show up and I expect them to be accountable for their actions. And so that's definitely something that I did differently this time around for that buyer's agent side of things. So you hired for the somebody. admin. Yeah, go ahead. So you hired somebody licensed this time. Yeah, she okay. was a transaction coordinator um, on another team, and she had helped complete like 120 transactions. And even though she was a TC, they were very much using her in a listing agent or buyer's agent capacity. Oh, wow. She just wasn't being compensated for them. Okay. And so she was like, "This isn't fair. You know, I'm basically an agent, but I'm not getting paid like an agent. So why oh, no. should I stay here?" So I was like, yeah, definitely. So she transitioned and she's been wonderful. That's awesome. What's her, what is she on track for? And she's been with you since January. So what is she on track for? So she joined my team in January, but there is definitely a lot of learning curve in terms of training. And um, I have her doing a coaching program, the psychology of sales right now, um, which has been a 12 week program. And she has about, I don't know, 13 or 15 buyers under contract right now, somewhere in that range, meaning agency agreements um, that she's working with. Um, But she really took her some time to get into the flow of things and she didn't have a fear or anything like that. So we really had to create from the ground up her book of business. And so she's been working really hard to do that. I think by the end of the year, we'll, we'll have her somewhere between five and 6 million. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. That's fantastic. All right. So let's talk about listings and buyers. So your, your, your percentage split on the team, what's listings, what's buyers, what's your percentage there? Yeah. So I'm 60% listings and 40% buyers. Okay. As a team? As a team. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then do you have any plans to get that up a little bit more in terms of listings? I know a lot of teams have that goal or do you enjoy the buyer side and agent enjoys the buyer side? So you're good. Kind of leave it that way. I think a 60-40 is a pretty good split, primarily because I do have a buyer's agent who I need to make sure is getting, you know, a good amount of business and being able to be profitable. And so I feel like if our volume numbers, you know, double, then sure, yeah, I'd like to have an increase in the listing. But if we're, you know, if we're at the level where we're at, it needs to be a nice balance between the listing and buy side. Got it. How do you get your leads for listings and buyers? Like what's your number one lead? Um, 
Yeah. So 70% of my business right now is coming from repeat clients and past client referrals. Um, because I have about 150 past clients. They like me, they like what I've done, they trust me, so they refer people. So that's the primary source of listing. Um, but I'm also holding a new thing this year I'm trying is I'm holding a seminar on the first Saturday of every month at our local Washington Community College. And every month is on a different real estate topic. And it's been, it's been really interesting. I had no idea how it was going to go or whether we were going to get any kind of buzz. But I thought, you know... I like to help people. I like to educate them. So let me see what I can provide in terms of value. And so I've gotten um, eight listings so far out of four seminars, wow. which has been good. And we've gotten six six buyers roughly out of those same seminars. And we're even getting people who are messages who can't attend the seminar, but like the topic. And so they want to have a consultation so that I can provide them some information on it. That's awesome. Dig into that a little bit. So Describe this. It's at the local community college, and and how do you market it out on Facebook and emails? Yeah, so I planned this actually last year. It was going to be my big thing that I was doing to generate, you know, to, to make myself look like the local market expert and to get myself in front of ready, willing, and able buyers. So I actually sent out a magnet at the beginning of the year to my entire farm, my entire sphere, and it had all twelve seminar topics on it with a date, time, and location. So that people could just put it right on their fridge and they'd have the magnet um, for what that would look like. And then every, I've been sending out a full 12 by 12 postcard to that same farm every month, inviting them to prior. Um, however, I'm about to transition for the remaining quarter after reading Profit First to one per quarter with three seminars on it, as opposed to one every month. Uh, um, which okay. has been a bit repetitive. But we definitely we put it on Eventbrite. We're doing social media ads. Facebook targeting, Instagram ads. We've um, marketed with the local chambers because I'm a member of both our, you know, two local chambers. So we do it that way. I'm a member of the local Rotary Club, so we advertise with them. Nice. And then I also identify all my key partners um, because I've been able to solidify partnerships, like exclusive referral partnerships with a moving company, um, with carpet, paint, you know, a state sale person, a lender, title, et cetera. And they give my clients discounts for working with me. And so I've also been basically picking one of them per month to sponsor the food. And then they do a lot of their own advertising as well. Sure. That's fantastic. I want you to dig into that a little bit more because I know there's somebody listening right now that wants to make some big changes. So you've got relationships solidified with moving company, a painting company, uh, all these different things, lenders, title, like those are the norm. And all those guys it's maybe not lender and title because they have a little conflict in there to, to make you the exclusive, but how did you get that relationship started and how did you get to be the exclusive for those companies? So it actually started with a moving company. Um, I had one that I'd worked with previously that I felt wasn't very competitive and I went into my next year planning out where am I going to get my business, who are going to be my key you know, sources and I said, you know, I really need some partners because I've been giving out a lot of business sure. and I was, I was basically reviewing my numbers and looking from you know the lender side, looking from the moving side. I'm like, they get so much business from me, yeah. but I haven't seen anything in return. And so, you know, I basically said, I need to start identifying people who are going to be as committed to growing my business and brand as I am to theirs, because otherwise, you know, what is the point of a partnership? Yes, they provide great service to my clients, but so do I. And all I'm asking is an opportunity. Sure. So my moving company 
first one I started with. I, I went to my initial, you know, company and said, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a partner who's going to commit, who's going to co-brand on their website, who's going to have me on their social media page, you know, who's going to pitch me to, to their clients who don't have signed paperwork and that they're going to actually hand out my stuff. And I feel like it was a bold, you know, kind of thought. Yeah. I think I kind of shocked them when I asked <laughs> that. Um, then they said, no, I'm sorry, that's just not going to work for me. And I said, okay, I understand. Thank you so much. You know, it's, it's been, it's been good doing business with you. And then I found another local moving company. I just started interviewing them and I went to their facilities. I made sure everything looked good. I wanted to make sure they would still provide the same level of care to my clients. And I actually ended up finding somebody who does a better job and they loved the idea of partnering with me. And so they've been providing moving trucks for all of my community events. I do three a year where I basically collect donations for charities or huge community-wide events. I actually had the local police department um, in the township um, support my last one, which was in wow. May. And so, you know, they provide the transportation and anything I need for donations. They co-brand and they market me as well. So it's been really good. And then I just kind of went from there. And I said, well, I've got one down. Now I have other people that I need to right. connect with and see who's going to be committed. And so now I've kind of put together a program, which I call my concierge program, the MIGA Moves Concierge Program, which is um, a group of people who are to servicing my clients, giving them the best possible prices, and then I coordinate all of it for them. Got it. I love that. I absolutely love that. So in terms of your like CRM and other lead gen like, sources, besides the sphere, besides this, like the affiliate program is awesome. And these courses or like these seminars you're doing, anything else you're doing to get business in? Well, we are doing bi-weekly newsletters. Um, we're trying to do really innovative value-adding content, you know, things that people aren't thinking about, you know, the millage rates increasing or, you know, just something different, like how to get the most out of your taxes. Yeah. Um, and making sure people are thinking about it, both to service existing clients as well as future prospective clients. Um, and so we've been getting really good traction. We've been trying to find unique titles <laughs> to, you know, get people to open them. But, you know, when we first started, um, you know, we're, we're, people aren't unsubscribing anymore, which is good. And we've, we've got 2,300 subscribers to our wow. newsletter. And out of that, you know, about 23% of them are opening them at least once. And we're getting pretty good click-through rate as well to a lot of our marketing materials. And so um, we're trying to just keep our face in front of people in addition to the print marketing and the social media. Um, and I didn't have a social media account before January of last year. And I've grown our business page to almost 900 followers, wow. which doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, to have nothing so to be able to grow it to 900 followers in about a year and a half, I'm still working on it. I'm oh, reading fantastic. the book now how to grow to a million followers. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. So what CRM do you use? So we actually just transitioned to Brevity. Previously, I was using a follow-up boss, which we a lot, but I just felt like there were some things that were missing and I was looking to redo our website and actually have our website work for us so that we could start generating leads off of that as well. And so I'm actually doing a search engine optimization. I've hired somebody to do that for me now so that we can make sure that we're showing up where we need to be showing up for the, you know, zip codes, neighborhoods, cities, as right. well as searches. But, you know, my previous website, I just did a placeholder something just so people Googled me, they could find something, but I'm like, I really need to start generating more 
streams, more leads outside of what we're doing. And so it's been about five months, four months since I transitioned over. And I've been really pleased with all of the features and products that they've been offering so far. I love that. All right, Sarah. So tell me a failure you've had in the business, whether as a, as a solo agent, as an agent on a team or as a team owner that turned out to be uh, a huge blessing to you today. You have anything like that? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the only thing that I can think of that would be what I consider to be a, a failure would be that I, I had a very difficult client that I had decided to work with that was actually a friend of my husband. And they were very, let's just say they were, they were very negative people who did not value the partnership, but they believed that since they were doing over a million dollars in volume, that they could treat people however they wanted. And, um, I actually ended up letting them go. We, we had listed the property and I, I fired them actually the first day we hit market, which was crazy. They were like, what are you doing? Like, I, what do you mean? I have to find another agent. We just listed the house. And it was an expensive house. And I really, I mean, it would have been a good listing, but unfortunately with the way that they were treating me and the way things had gone in the conversations we had had, it just was not, it wasn't sure. worth it. So I ended up firing them and um, my, you know, I was really nervous because I thought my husband was going to be really upset that I fired his colleague, <laughs> but um, it ended up working out fine. And quite frankly, the amount of, there were so many issues. And they ended up relisting and I followed the transaction just because I was curious yeah, and yeah. they actually ended up um, having to be evicted by a police because they did not move out at the appropriate time when they were supposed to for the contract. And it was just a huge mess. So I'm just really glad that I made the decision I did and kept my honor and just said, nope, not worth it and move on. <laughs> wow. Good for you. Cause there's a lot of people, myself included, who have taken on clients that we know just don't respect us. Don't respect our time, our expertise, our value. So good for you, especially a million dollar client. You just let them go. But then look at what you would have had to deal with at the end. Well, probably all the way yeah. through and to the end. Well, yeah. and for me, my reputation is the most important thing. And you can say it's ego or pride, but if somebody doesn't value me or feel that they trust me, I can't work with them. I don't care how much it's worth. Right. There's no amount of money that's worth it to me. I agree with you on that for sure. So what advice would you give a new agent just coming into the business? Just a couple pieces of advice, actually. What would you tell a new agent who says, Sarah, I need your help. Can I have an hour of your time? I need your most valuable advice. What would you tell them first and foremost? They don't know anything about anything. Well, I would say the first thing they should do is take a class or read a book, watch a YouTube video on how to build a business plan. Um, and to create an economic model in, in, in combination with that. Because a lot of times agents, they come into the business and they see money. They think there's a lot of opportunity to be able to make a lot of money. And there is. But there's a reason such few people are actually successful in doing more than, you know, $7 million a year, making more than $50,000. It's because it takes a lot. Yep. And you have to create a mind space. You have to literally create yourself in a space of somebody's mind because there's already a million of us, right? right? So I think the important thing is to figure out how is it, like what kind of numbers make them happy? 
you know, how much is a happy number for them to justify like the work that they're doing? You know, is it 50,000 a year? Is it 100,000 a year? Figure out what their expenses would be to get to those numbers and then work backwards so they know how many sales they need to have. And once they have those numbers and how many appointments they need to be going on, then they need to map out a business plan of how they're going to actually get those appointments. And so I think it's really important to not just wing it and they need to be spending that time prospecting. When you're a new agent, everything is like 80% prospecting, 20% business development. If you're not prospecting, you're not going to (laughs) survive. Fair enough. Fair enough. What advice would you give yourself as a rookie agent? If you could go back and start it over again, what would you give yourself as far as advice? I would say, or what would you do? Yeah. I would say don't go for the short-term gain because I, I was in a position where I was very unhappy with my, my team brokerage for, well, actually six months in. I was like, it was a really bad environment, but I thought, well, in the short term, I can gain a lot from this yeah. as opposed to looking at the long-term kind of mental health consequences of what that would be for me. And so looking back, even though I you know, valued the experience that I got from my position, I would have made the decision to focus more on the long-term picture sooner than what it took me to, to get two years in where I'm finally just kind of scrambling. Cause when I left my team, I'd never actually closed the transaction. I didn't know what title work was because on the team that I was on, I wasn't allowed to learn those things. They didn't want me to have those pieces of the puzzle. And I'd never really prospected either. I didn't even know what prospecting was. I didn't have an online presence. I wasn't allowed to market. So there were so many things that I felt, I just didn't know how to do and it took me until two years in to actually be able by fire to figure out how to do them right, right. and I really wish I would have gone back and done that differently prospecting huge key so what do you think that I ask this question every time what do you think the future of real estate looks like for the agent Well, I think that it's going to be harder and harder for a solo agent to continue to compete. I think it also really depends on like what kind of a brand or lifestyle that somebody is looking to, uh, uh, you know, obtain. Not everybody wants to be a $110 million team producer. Some people are happy at 5 million or 10 million if it means that they get the lifestyle they want for travel and, and all of that. So um, it's, it's really going to depend on what they're, they're looking for. But I do think as, the market is shifting as technology is becoming more readily available. You know, there's more information online to people. There's more sites to help people sell for themselves. It is going to be harder and harder to justify the value add at the percentage or the fee that we charge. Sure. And so I feel that, you know, we are definitely in a relationship business and I don't think that piece will go away, but I definitely think that, you know, we're going to see some people weeding themselves out. You're going to have to be more and more competitive and provide more and more value to be able to continue to hold or take market share. Love that. And what's your take on like the iBuyer stuff? And like I saw a commercial the other day, actually many commercials that Zillow is, you can, they have the iBuyer program and they have a program where they'll just buy your house kind of like a wholesaler. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have that in, in your area? So we, we don't yet but it's starting to come around. Um, we're starting to see more Redfin signs, you know, listed by Redfin and, you know, instant buyer. I mean, quite frankly, it really bothers me because I feel like people don't, like my whole like spiel or the way that I operate my business is from a place of, let me educate you about your options. Sure. And then you make a decision that you're comfortable with. 
And I feel like with these new things that are coming up, a lot of times people really are uneducated about what their options are. And they, they see something that they're familiar with and they think it looks easy, but they don't understand that maybe they could get way more money for their house and they're giving up a lot of equity. Um, and they're potentially giving away a lot more fees as well. And that really bothers me. <laughs> you got, you have a really good point there. Whereas, you know, I've talked to people and they said, well, I mean, you charge X and you know, this other company, I won't mention them charges half of you, what you charge. I say, I totally get that. And then I go into that education conversation as well of like, you know, at the end of the day, you need to know as much information as you need to know to make the best decision possible. Without that information and just looking at the price point, then we have to determine, we have to find the value somewhere here. And I get it if the value is not with me, but at the same time, are you getting everything that you need to know to make the best decision from that other company? Or are you seeing the the like slashed prices on listing fee and thinking, bam, that's like my 80% of my determination already there. And so I have those conversations with a lot of people and a lot of people will say to me, you know, I think I, I don't say just educated people, but people who are inquisitive, they'll say, it's interesting. And I'll say, look, I'm not just trying to win your listing. I don't even know if this is the right listing for me or if I'm the right person for you, or you're the right client for me that at the end of the day, as a general public, it's my job to educate you on things you should know when going to list your home. And then I would say that 90% of the people will say to me, all right, well, now I'm interested. So do you think I'm making a bad decision? I said, I, I, I don't think you're making a bad decision at all. I don't know if you're making a good decision or a great decision. Let's talk about it. And then we go into like asking a bunch of questions to figure out is that the best decision for them? Sometimes it is. Sometimes we're like, look, I really don't care. I own no money on this house. If I, if you could get me 10 grand more, it doesn't matter. My grandmother gave me this house. Just get me. I just want out. And at that point, the motivation is just not that high. But us as agents is our job to make sure that we understand a client's motivation so that we are actually helping them, not just helping ourselves to a paycheck, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like that was one of the biggest things that I noticed was missing when I got into the industry. And I was really, quite frankly, it was hard for me to go from law school into real estate, where in our state, you don't even have to have a high school diploma to be a real estate agent. And so, you know, the bar is really low. Yep. Class is only 40 hours, you know, eight hours of continuing ad. And then wow. basically they're like, go ahead and you can, you know, get your license and sell somebody's house worth half a million dollars. And it's just crazy to me. And so, you know, I will tell you, you know, out of all the clients I've been on, there have been some people, obviously, there's always those two people who are like, well, you know, is that being negotiable or somebody else told me that they would pay less. But if you have, if you understand your value, and you're able to demonstrate it to them in a way that makes sense for them. And what I do is I will walk through the process. And I'll talk about the questions, the things like, well, what happens at inspection if this happens or do you know if there's this in your home or what about appraisal you know are we going to have an appraisal issue right. and if we are what happens if the home doesn't appraise what are your options and how do we handle that and just kind of educating them about the things that could go wrong and how I've dealt with those in the past and other ways that maybe they haven't thought of sure. and I can tell you out of all the listings I've gone on I've had maybe three percent of everybody mention the fee and they still pay it in fact, I've even had sellers tell me that I should charge more than what I'm charging oh, awesome. because of the value that I bring to the transaction. And it's the same thing on the buy side. All my buyers sign contracts agreeing to my fee, even if right. the seller's not going to pay it. 
it doesn't matter what market they're in, what the you know compensation is, they know out of pocket, they're going to pay whatever that fee is because demonstrated enough value to them at the consultation that they feel that I'm the best partner for them. Sure. And it doesn't matter if it costs them 500 bucks or $8,000. It's worth it to them. Yeah, love that. So wrapping up here, uh, this has been extremely valuable. What else would you like to leave the audience with that, you know, let's just, let's just say the new agent or an agent looking that's, you know, a buyer agent or an agent on a team looking to kind of hang their own shingle up. What advice can you give them? And what do you want to leave the audience with? So I, I have given a marketing plan that basically walks you through everything you should, at least what I'm doing to market in terms of how frequently and when and what I'm sending out to my farm or my mailers, as well as what I'm emailing and events that I'm having when I'm starting to advertise for those as just a basis of like the frequency and I'm going off of the 32 touch system. Yep. And so I feel, you know, I've, I've deviated a little bit from it this year, but I've been using it pretty closely. And I feel that having that is really helpful because then you have a plan of action to make sure that you're not missing out. Um, on what you should be doing because you need to stay in front of them every three weeks or people will forget you exist. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very good point. Very good point. And I think that's a great point. So you're going to be at hybendigital.com. You're going to be able to find Sarah's marketing plan for a 32 or 33 touch throughout the year, event stuff, newsletter stuff, email blasts, social media posts. I don't think I have social media posts on okay. there, but I do have like my mailer, like timeline of what I'm mailing and when. Would you share with people what you mail them? What you mail your clients? Is it like a stock yeah, so on, on there, So on there, it says what it is, like a just listed flyer or we have a buyer flyer. I don't have a template per se. It Got kind it. of varies depending on what we send. Um, but I'm, I'm a graphic designer, so I custom make all of my stuff. <laughs> I bet it looks awesome. But I will say that if somebody is not a designer and they need an easy to use resource to find flyers or, you know, brochures, pamphlets, I use Creative Market a lot. It's like $5 for a PDF, an AI, or a PSD file, and you can find pretty much anything you need. So I've been doing that a lot lately. What's that called? Time is valuable. Creative Market. It's basically designers who put up templates and you buy the template. You can use it, whatever, and you can customize. So you can choose to buy in a PDF, an AI, whatever you're comfortable with using, publisher. Um, but it saves you the hassle of having to create a template from scratch, which saves me time. So. I love that. I love that. So uh, I know you explained a little bit in the beginning, but like anything else you're doing right now to improve who you are, yourself, any classes, seminars, any personal development books, anything you're doing right now? Podcasts besides real estate rock stars? <laughs> Um, well, I mentioned that I just finished the five dysfunctions of a team and then we're about to start next month's book, which is how to grow your network. Sorry, how to grow your business from network. The five plus 50 plus a hundred equals awesome, <laughs> basically. Um, and I'm really, and I'm also reading profit first right now. So I'm really focusing and honing in on my budget and profit right now um, because my expenses have been very high this year and I want to make sure I'm actually able to live off of the money that I'm bringing in. <laughs> that would be a good idea. So how to grow your business. What was the book name? I have the title here. It's called how to be a power connector. How to be a power connector. Got it. That's awesome. So everybody, you can go to Hyman Digital and we're going to upload Sarah's marketing piece for everybody to take a look at and copy and do whatever you want with because Sarah's super successful with it. 
and it just can be another tool in your arsenal. You don't have to use it to a T. You can just take a little bit from a lot of different people and make it your own and own it. And then you give that to other people for them to work with and take a little piece from you. So this has been great, Sarah. I really appreciate you coming on Real Estate Rockstars. I know Rockstar Nation, I'm sure, has gotten a lot of value out of this. Where can, uh, where can people get a hold of you? You're on social media? Well, yeah, you are. Yeah. So Newly. you can go to my website, uh, MaigaHomes, M-A-I-G-A, homes.com. Cool. Or you can also find me on social media. Pretty much if you Google Maiga Homes, because Maiga is such a unique name, yeah. I come up everywhere. That's <laughs> so. awesome. So, all right, Sarah Maiga, this has been a real pleasure. So top 50, 30 under 30 finalists, Ann Arbor, Michigan, started the team. It's doing really well. Looking to grow it by quite a bit this year, actually. It was like a quarter, like 25% growth. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, about, about 25%. Yep. I love that. Well, look, if anybody wants to reach out to Sarah, you know where to find her, mygahomes.com. Probably, like she said, it's the only one out there. So you can find her super easy. Find her on social media. Do you have an Instagram handle? Um, it's also mygahomes. Okay, perfect, perfect. Sarah, this has been Absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I know a lot of uh, a lot of people got a lot out of this. So thanks for coming on Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right, we'll, we'll see you. Uh, actually, I'll be up in Ann Arbor this uh, this summer, and I'll look you up. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, please. I'd love to to take you around. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time today, and we'll uh, catch you on the next one. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in to Real Estate Rockstars. If this free content is giving you a ton of value, I want to ask a small favor in return. I need you to pull out your pointing finger and hit the subscribe button. Yes, hit subscribe, please. The more subscribers that we get on Real Estate Rockstars, the better guests are attracted to the shows. We'll get more guests from the top companies, from the top teams, and even more celebrity guests like Robert Kiyosaki and Barbara Corcoran. Also, if you're not a member of our free Facebook group, go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio right on Facebook and join the conversation. I'm on there myself on FaceTime Lives, and we have a lot of communications and questions about the show, and I'd love to see you there. And it's free. People ask me all the time, where am I on social media? I'm real easy to find. Just type in my name. My IG is I am Pat Hyben. It is blowing up on Instagram, adding tons of subscribers. And I'm on there probably twice a day. So definitely follow me on Instagram as well as everywhere else. Thanks again for listening and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.